Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Well, I'm excited to continue in the Acts series. If you have your Bibles, pull them out. Because um, we're going to dive into the text and we're going to get to it pretty quickly. But before we do, I want you to know that I'm starting in Acts chapter 8, which is pretty cool because this is a dividing point in Acts. This sort of begins a transition in the text. Now, for those of you that are new with us, this entire year we have been doing really one thing. The first half of the year we journeyed through Luke, that gospel of Luke. And now we have turned the corner and we're journeying through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostle. And so I, wanna, I want you to see one verse because it will highlight the transition that is coming in today's talk. It'll help you understand how Acts is divided into a couple very important sections as we learn about where we came from. Acts chapter 1-8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be... My witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 8 is the dividing point from Jerusalem to the next promise, that is Judea and Samaria. If you were to stop and go back and review what have we been talking about over the last sort of few weeks, the last two months, this is sort of it in a nutshell. Acts 1 Uh, The chapters one through seven is basically how a Jesus movement started up. Started in Jerusalem. It was the first century in the Roman Empire, in the eastern part of that Roman Empire. And there were a group of people. They were the Jews. And the Jews for so long had been scattered around the world. But no matter where they lived, they always, they always identified themselves as the family of Abraham, and they devoted themselves to the one true Lord. This had always been true of them. And in Acts chapter 2, there were some Jews who happened to be in Jerusalem for Passover. One of the things that Jewish, the Jewish people did every year, they would gather for certain ceremonies. Passover was one. And in Acts chapter 2, some Jews were in Jerusalem, and something happens, Right? And as visitors came and experienced these, this small group of what would soon be known as Christians, followers of Jesus, followers of the way, they noticed that they were talking in languages other than their own, and these people were proclaiming that something new had happened. In Acts chapter 2, they said, look, there was a Messiah. He came, the the Romans executed him, but he is the king of Israel, of the whole world. And Jesus is now calling all of his people to adopt an upside down kingdom, what he called the kingdom of God. This was the message in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 1 through 7 highlights what then starts to happen. Thousands of Jews started to gather around this idea and decided to stay in Jerusalem and to join the movement. This thing was cooking. They were cooking with gas. People were coming to Jesus. They were getting to know him. And people were falling in love with this idea of an upside-down kingdom. But there were a few that weren't happy about it. It was those that ran the temple. And they began to persecute the Jews there in Acts, the later parts of 6 and 7. And they executed one of their leaders, Stephen. And Carrington talked last week about this idea of persecution and what that looks like. And so 
the followers of Jesus were now being scattered. They were scattering out to different places and followers of Jesus ended up in really surprising places. And it would have been surprising that one of the places that they were called to go to was Samaria because Samaria is the place of their enemies, right? Jesus was saying, hey, this upside down kingdom It isn't going to be just for you. You know, let me talk about that for a minute. Oftentimes we talk about my Jesus. And and we want Jesus for me and my friends. I don't know if I want Jesus for my enemies. Right? That person that's talking trash on me. That person that doesn't want me to succeed at work. The person that did me harm. When we think about Jesus, we go, well, Jesus wants me. He wants to forgive me. He's going to give me mercy. But my enemies, not so much. I want Jesus to strike those dudes down. Anybody, you know, is that just me? I'm just a bad pastor. (laughs) But Jesus was saying in his kingdom, it would be for your enemies. His kingdom was different, man. Like your enemies would sit at your table with you. You would go to Samaria. And so in Acts chapter eight, uh, that's where we find Philip. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open it to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And I'm going to break this large passage into a couple of sections that I just want to highlight quickly this morning with us. It starts in verse 26, and it says this. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem and Gaza. Now, a couple things about this. One thing I appreciate the fact is that God often lets you know what you're about to walk into is going to be tough. You notice he didn't say, hey, go down that road. It's gonna be an easy road. Don't worry about that road. He goes, oh, no, no, no. Philip, go down to the road, the desert road. Let me just reiterate. It's a desert you're about to walk through, young man. God will often take us into deserts as he leads us to what is next. Amen? Anybody find yourself in a desert right now? Anybody? Anybody in a desert? You can talk back to me. It's fine. (laughs) Anybody in a desert? Okay, let me tell you something. Oftentimes when we think about deserts, we think that's the place we were led to die. We were taken to a desert to die. God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Philip was taken through the desert to get to where God wanted him to go. In fact, go back to Jesus, our rabbi. What does the Bible say? Before he started his ministry, it says that the spirit led him into the desert. In other words, that was the plan. Could it be that your desert is the plan? I know some of you are like, I'm not coming back here. Huh? So it says this. It says, go south to the road, the desert that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, just real quick, this Philip is a different Philip than the Philip you would experience in the gospel. In the gospel, there is another Philip. And he was the sixth disciple that was chosen by Jesus in the gospel of John. And this Philip was the Philip... The gospel Philip was the one who went to Nathaniel and said, oh, I think I found the Messiah. And Nathaniel said, where's he from? And Philip says, he is from Nazareth. And then Nathaniel said, does anything good come from Nazareth? Sometimes I feel like when I tell people I'm from Rockford, they give me a side eye and go, does anything good come from Rockford? I'm like, step off, yo. 
Good stuff comes from Rockford. Rockford peaches. Oh. But, but, but the Philip of the gospel was with Jesus. This is a different Philip. This is Philip the evangelist. And Philip the evangelist, as the Christian church was growing in Acts chapter 6, it, it tells us that the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, look, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry. See, it was growing really fast. And so some of the first disciples that were added there were seven that they said, let's, let, let's find seven wise people. Philip, the, 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 this Philip, the evangelist is that Philip. It's a different Philip, okay? So just for clarity's sake. This is that Philip, Philip the evangelist. And in verse 27, as he's gathered, as he's headed down, it says this. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candite which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Now, this is interesting that Luke adds three very important descriptors that is not by accident. Philip meets a man who's studying God's word, but Luke, who's the author of Acts, makes sure we know three things about this dude. Number one, he's Ethiopian. Now, he didn't have to include this, but he did, and he, he did it so that the reader would know that when Philip encountered this man, he was a different kind of man. Ethiopia is in Africa. This man is African. He would look fundamentally different than Philip the evangelist. They would have a different skin color, a different life context. These would be people who did not hang out in normal circumstances. And Luke is saying, this, this man, this man from a different tribe, a different skin color, that's who Philip was about to engage with. And then he adds a second descriptor that was exceedingly important. He said, this man was a eunuch. Now, this is an important fact because in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law would see castration, which is what it means to be a unit, that you were castrated as a matter of shame. It was an offense, and in fact, if you were a eunuch, you were not allowed to worship in the temple. It was a, it was a strange thing to interact with someone like this. They would step outside the bounds of what was normal. And so Luke says, yeah, when Philip encounters this man on the road, not only is he outside of his tribe, he would be someone that wasn't even allowed in the church, right? And then he adds a third descriptor. He says, oh, and by the way, this dude has a ton of money. He's a rich, he's a rich fella. I think sometimes when we encounter any of these three scenarios, it makes us hesitant to engage, doesn't it? It's like, well, we don't, we don't look the same, so I don't really know if we can sit at the table together. You, you have some strange things that are happening in your life, and I don't know how to interact with that. Or you have all of these means, and I have none of it, so you probably don't need what I have, right? And yet, as Philip saw this man who on the surface, it would say in his context, stay away, right? Don't 
go near that person. Look what the Bible says in verse 30. In verse 30, it says, then Philip ran. This is so cool to me, is that here is what the kingdom of God does. The kingdom of God makes us excited to meet people that before we knew Jesus, we might not be excited about meeting. The kingdom of God and Jesus makes us walk into spaces that in previous to knowing Jesus, we would say, don't go there. Don't talk to them. Don't do that. I don't have anything to say. But with Philip, what I love is he sees a guy that he should not be speaking to. And the Bible says, because because of what God is doing, and this kingdom is so amazing, it said he ran to him. And as he ran up to the chariot, the Bible tells us this. The man was reading the Isaiah, uh, Isaiah the prophet. And, and I love what Philip asks. He says, he's, he doesn't start with small talk. He doesn't go, hey man, um, nice chariot. Or, so how's the weather? Or, what do you think of the Cubs this year? But he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. I know, Cubs, Cubs, just everybody calm down. Calm down. Calm down. He, he, he doesn't do any of that. You know what he does? He sees this opportunity to speak Jesus, and look what he does. He says, hey, 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 I see you're reading. You're reading some God stuff. Do you understand what you're reading? Do, do, you, do you know what this means? You know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this book, and, and, and this is just a funny aside when I was reading it. He, he goes to this guy who's obviously interested in God. He's interested. He wants to know this new way. Like he was just in Jerusalem and probably because of the money, he was able to purchase a scroll and he was reading it. Sometimes um, we know just enough about this book to be dangerous, don't we? I mean, if we're honest, we just know just enough to be dangerous. And, and some of us with real good intentions, but the reason why we've been journeying through Luke and Acts is because we want to know this book better. Right? We, want, we want to put this in our lives. We want to live out of this book. This is important. But sometimes we know just enough about it to be dangerous. And I was thinking back. It was really funny, man. Um, I used to run a, 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 a school club. It was at Belvedere. Before it was Belvedere, the two different Belvedere's, it was just one Belvedere. That just tells you how old I am. And I used to run a, a campus club where we would introduce these students to Jesus. And so a lot of the kids that would come to the club, man, they just had a lot of heart. They were like this Ethiopian. They want to know some stuff, but they know very little about the Bible. And one day this kid came in, I don't know, he's probably like a sophomore. And uh, he was like, hey man, can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah, sure, what's up? He goes, dude, my girlfriend broke up with me. And so this kid was new to faith and we sat down and we started to just sort of chop and talk and, and he said something that was so funny. He goes, well, you know, man, I just figure it's like what, the, what I think what the Bible says is like, sometimes you love someone, it's like a bird, you got to let it fly. I was like, bro, that's not in the Bible. He knows the Bible better these days, but sometimes, you know, we, we know just enough of this to be dangerous. And that's why we have these learning havens we're doing, like how to study the Bible and how to follow Jesus and the hospitality haven. I'm going to mention it. Like you show up for these things. 
Like when we say we go backwards, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to understand what this thing means and how do we put it into our lives and how, how do we live that out? So, so this happens here. Like this, this, uh, this fellow sitting on the side of the road and, and Philip goes up to him and says, hey man, um, do you understand what you're reading? And, and I love in verse 31, he says, well, how can I unless someone explains it to me? How can I? Unless somebody tells me, if someone teaches me, this is why we gather and, and, and we learn. And so he invited Philip to come and sit with him and they read through the, the text. And, and, and if you go to verse 34, here's what happens. It says, then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? As they read through this ancient uh, text from Isaiah, And then Philip began with every passage of the scripture and he told him, listen, the good news about Jesus. Here's this this Ethiopian who was absolutely looking for something and God arranges this moment and I love what the ESV, this is the NIV, but in the ESV, this is what I love how it says it. It says, when Philip saw his chance, he opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. Here is a man who is outside his tribe, who does not fit the criteria that you would think that you should talk to or could talk to someone who would probably, in most circumstances, never sit at the table with Philip the evangelist. Every reason in the book to just walk by, to keep going, to get through the desert. And this is why I said to you at the beginning, pay attention to your journey in the desert because sometimes we're so quick to get through the desert, we miss what God has in the desert. If he was just trying to get through the desert road to where he was going, he would have missed the Ethiopian. And he, would have, he could have made a, the excuses. I, I don't know this dude. He doesn't look like me. He seems kind of strange. I'm just going to get through this thing. He doesn't. He sees this man and he opens his mouth. And I thought, how many times, church, do we keep our mouths shut when we should speak? How many times do we speak when we ought to keep our mouths shut? We're talking about all the wrong things. We're debating about all the wrong things. You notice he didn't sit down to talk about government. He didn't say, well, how's your political system there in Ethiopia? Let me tell you about mine. It's terrible, right? He didn't talk about sports. He didn't lament, he didn't push, he didn't argue. He saw someone who was interested in the kingdom and he spoke to him about his experience in the kingdom. He opened his mouth and he talked kingdom, talk. And this is what I love. We too often think like, man, I got to, Argue someone to the kingdom. I got to convince them. I got to open their eyes. Listen, listen. If this story tells us anything, our job is singular. We are to open our mouth and speak of the kingdom. 
It is God's job to open their eyes to the kingdom. You've got to open your mouth. You've got to say what you need to say and tell your story. And I was reminded of this so profoundly when I was probably about 29. So as you know, I used to live in Denver, Colorado. And that's why um, I'm quite convinced that um, Steve Carter and I have a, a little side wager that the Broncos will win more games than the Bears. And hold on now. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Um, the wager's simple. You know, we're not really gambling men, but... One of us is going to have to wear the other's jersey for, uh, for a talk. And so um, I feel pretty good. <laughs> Nonetheless, I remember when I was in 28, I was, I was in Denver, Colorado, and was working in this uh, accounting firm, this energy firm. And there was one guy there in particular that um, I would say we shared very little in common. Um, he was like... I sort of idolized him. He was a few years older than me. He had made so much money and he was so good looking and he had so much hair, you know. <laughs> this dude was awesome. Like he looked like the epitome of like everything that you would want to have by the time you got to 35. This dude was rolling. Life was working. And, and, and for the first few months, I didn't know him very well. We're just gonna call him Chris, but. We got assigned to a task together to go to Atlanta for a couple of months to work on a project. And as we were in Atlanta, I got to know Chris and began to talk to him about my life and hear about his life. And fast forward to the end of summer, one afternoon, it was the end of our day, and we had this big whiteboard, and we worked up on the 20th floor of a building in downtown Denver. And I was writing stuff on this whiteboard for the next day. And I, I saw him sitting like over my shoulder and I was like, hey, what's up? He's like, hey, dude, could we talk? I didn't think much of it. And so I finished writing stuff on the board and we sat down and Chris began to pour out his heart about his life, about what was really happening, about the questions that he had and how all the things that he'd achieved in his life had left him empty. The stories we are so familiar with when all you chase is money and things and then you realize I got all the stuff that I chased and it feels really hollow. This is him and he said, I don't know what to do, but like you talked about your faith and I wonder if you could help me. It was my Ethiopian moment, right? And honestly, I actually didn't know what to say. And so I said, well, I'll tell you my story. And so I told him a little bit of my faith journey. And I said, I got an idea. There used to be these things. Some of you remember them. They were called bookstores. <laughs> I said, let's go down to this bookstore. There's a bookstore like right on the corner. So we went downstairs and I walked into the bookstore. And I remember there was this book um, by Max Licato, Right? And I knew there was a book that if he read it, he would get what faith was about. And so we walked over to the Christian section and I grabbed him a Bible and a Maslicato book and I handed it to him and I said, dude, read, read these. This is like the story of Jesus. This is the kingdom. And I thought, okay, well, like, we'll follow up in the next few weeks. And so I went home and next morning I came into work and I was at that same whiteboard when I saw a flash out of the corner of my eye. 
I looked over and it's Chris and he looks like Kramer. You know, like skidding into the room. His hair's all messed up. He's super disheveled. It looked like he went on a bender, right? I'm like, bro, what happened to you? He goes, I got to talk to you right now. And so I'm thinking, great, great. I open my mouth, tell him about Jesus. Now he's ticked and he's going to beat me up. <laughs> so I walk out in the hallway. I was like, what? bro, what's up? He's like, these, these books you gave me, these books? He goes, I stayed up all night. I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, I read all of this book and I read all of the Gospel of John. That's what you told me to read. He goes, why did I not know about this before? And then he started to cry. He goes, this is it, right? This is it. I was like, yeah, bro, this is it. You see, so often we walk through our lives and we miss our opportunities to open our mouths and change the trajectory of someone's life. And the funny thing is that most of our lives were actually transformed when someone else opened their mouth, wasn't it? There's that song that says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. I think about like how our job isn't to open their eyes. It's just to open our mouths. And when we do, God uses our stories and our lives to open Eyes to his kingdom. You see, this was the beginning. This was the story at the beginning that began to change the world. In fact, you could make the argument that you sit here this day because of this story. People like Philip who were willing to open their mouth caused the gospel to spread out of Jerusalem to Samaria, then to the rest of the world. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is it's just not done. And if you're a disciple and Jesus is your rabbi, he's asking you to open your mouth. Tell your story. I know some of you are like, I don't know that much about the Bible. Well, we're learning. Keep coming to church. Keep journeying through this with us. Keep stepping into his word. But I know one thing you do know. You know your story. Nobody knows your story like your story, like you know it. Nobody. Nobody can tell your story like you can tell it. Tell your story. Open your mouth. And... Crazy things happen. In verse 36, 38, I close with this. It said this. After he opened his mouth, as he traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, hey, here's some water. And they stood and, and, and he, he, he said, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? See, this is what happens when someone's eyes get open, right? They come running into rooms and they're like, tell me about Jesus and I want to get baptized. All he did was ask him, hey, man, do you know what you're reading? 
And you know where it started? Because he wasn't afraid to engage with someone that looked nothing like him. Everything on paper said, stay away from this. And this, my friends, is the kind of church we're trying to build. But can't do it without you. Can't do it if you don't go into your spaces and open your mouth and invite people to church to sit next to you, to be with you. So I give you these three things. Number one, what would it look like if this in four weeks you opened your mouth and you made an invitation to our worship night, September 15th? Who in your world? Who? Somebody you know, a buddy, a friend. I mean, it's going to be wild, but it's going to be awesome. I mean, who is it that you sat next to or been with that you could just extend an invitation? I'm asking you, open your mouth. Ask them. Second thing I want to remind us about. So I want to remind us about the opportunity to serve our communities. We, we, we want to show up in spaces like this, and maybe this is a great chance to open your mouth. And you have someone who's like, man, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out faith. I'm trying to figure out church. I haven't been around. Well, invite them to come pack some meals. Make an impact in the world. Change a kid's life. And then lastly, I'm just going to extend this invitation. If, if, you, if you're trying to figure out how to live this life, what we saw, like where, where I really do invite people in my world and I open my mouth and we try to live life together, we're doing what's called a hospitality haven. It's basically a class. And here's the deal. It started last week. This is week two I'm teaching today. It's right after this service. Just stay around. If you're like, well, I wanna learn how to do this. I wanna learn how to open my mouth and open my home and bring people to know Jesus. Listen, stick around. They're gonna kill me that I'm asking you all to stick around There's food in there, and we'll have to cut up a bunch of pizza into tiny little squares if all of you do show up. But listen, what I'm I'm saying is, is, is step into step into this calling of telling others and expanding the kingdom. The kingdom wasn't just for you to have your little Jesus, your own personal Jesus. This kingdom is to be talked about, to be expanded. There are people who need to know this. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God, give us the courage this week to step into the calling, to open our mouths on your behalf, to speak to people who don't look like us and sometimes we're afraid of and we don't always know what to say and help us have the courage just like Philip to go out of our way to someone who might be different, to tell our story, to open our mouths so that you can open their eyes. We pray all this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Love you all.